The following audio is from Downtown Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit downtownchurch.com. All right, let's go now to God's Word as we continue our march through the book of Hebrews. Let's pay attention to His Word. Jesus, the great high priest. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. It's the very word of God. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we rejoice that you are the God of heaven and earth. Uh, We rejoice that you have spoken and we have not listened. Uh, We harden our hearts at every turn. We think we know best. We think that we can put your word under our judgment and that we can choose what we want to hear or not hear. We have become masters over you in our own hearts and minds in so many ways. So that is evidence that we need your spirit to come. We need your spirit to come and to speak powerfully because your word is power to break hard and prideful hearts. And so would you come, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May we see Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. May we fix our eyes on Him. Lord Jesus, make Yourself known to us this morning in a a powerful way. Don't leave us as we are, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of us followed Paxton Lynch as he... um, 
went through his career at the University of Memphis. And um, it wasn't long before there was talk about him becoming um, an NFL quarterback. And all the speculation and all the hype and all the uh, sports talk radio and ESPN and, and so forth were building up. Um, and, and really, I'm sure it was, um, you know, complimentary to Paxton Lynch, but I also have a feeling that it put tremendous pressure on him. And so as, as everything builds to the NFL draft and as pick after pick, after pick, after pick is made. Uh, this is what we finally hear. Watch this. With the 26th pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Paxton Lynch, quarterback, Memphis. There he is. Been drafted. His dream has come true. He's in tears. Young man who had a breakout season in Memphis. You just got a call from John Elway for crying out loud. Welcome into the National Football League. And he is going to join the defending Super Bowl champions. And it will be in his hands for years to come in the Rocky Mountains. Mark Sanchez there. Maybe, as you point out, it will be Sanchez's team to run this year. Perhaps Lynch will get a shot. So why is he crying? Is it the money? (laughs) I don't think so. You heard it. John Elway called him. (laughs) John Elway, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the game, a Hall of Famer, called him and said, We choose you. All of us go through life asking one simple question. Do I measure up? From the earliest we can possibly remember, we, we come out of the womb asking that question. We were at a, Rachel and I were at our grandson's uh, soccer game yesterday, and uh, Jed and Whitney's son Bennett was playing, and he finally kicked a ball and was driving down the field, and we thought, maybe this is going to be the moment, you know, that he scores a goal, and he kicks it, and it kicks, it's a great kick, but it goes right by the goal, and the first thing he did was turn to the sidelines and look at us. And what do we do? Good job, buddy! And you know what he started doing? Dancing. (laughs) Just as if he had scored a goal. Why? Because the people that mean the most to him said you measure up. Dear friends, that's what we're all living for. (laughs) We're all living to hear you measure up. And as the believers in Rome who are experiencing persecution are being barraged by the threats of the world, and as some are being driven from their homes and even burned at the stake, they are feeling in the depth of their soul, we do not measure up. And so in the midst of this, Hebrews writes, and this is what is said in verse 14, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. What is he saying there? John Elway called Paxton Lynch. What's so big about that? Because John Elway passed through the NFL and conquered it. And so Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens, He is from glory. 
He is the Hall of Famer of all Hall of Famers. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly and fast to our confession. You see, friends, we have a high priest who stands before God and says, don't look at them, look at me. The job of a sports agent is to make his client look a whole lot better than he really is. And yet, Although Paxton Lynch gets this you know, national acclaim, he is declared worthy, he breaks down in tears, he, he's finally justified, all of his hopes and dreams come true, and, and, and before the whole world and on national TV, and although that gives him confidence, and we see it the next day, he, he's in Denver, he has a Broncos jersey on, he has a Broncos hat on, and what is he doing? He's not crying anymore. But he's talking about the future. He's talking about how he's ready to go to work and put the franchise on his shoulders. That's what justification does. That's what happened when, when someone great declares us worthy. When someone great says, you measure up, we go from this fragile state to this state of confidence. But here's the problem. Paxton Lynch now has to go prove himself. So he's really back where he started. But we, dear friends, don't have to prove ourselves. Because Jesus came and He lived and He died for us. He he proved that He was worthy before the law of God. He knew that we break the law of God at every point. If, 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 If God were just to judge us by the expectations we have for ourselves, we would be condemned much less His expectations, the expectations of a holy God. And so what Jesus did is He came and He lived under the law. He lived in our place so that now Jesus, as our high priest, can go to the Father and say, don't look at Richard Reeves, look at me. Judge Richard by my record. And then He took my record. He took all of my sin and He went to the cross and He was condemned in my place. So that now he can stand before God and say, hey, don't condemn him because you've already condemned me. And you know that you can't, you, you can't uh, commit double jeopardy. You can't punish one sin twice. And so I'm forgiven. And so I'm loved by God. Not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ. Because he is a high priest, I can now live in confidence Because I know that He never rests. Hebrews 7.25 Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession. That's what Jesus exists for. To make intercession for you. Isn't that beautiful? Well, if Jesus is the ultimate high priest... If He is the one that we can put all of our burdens, if He's the one that can say, through Jesus we measure up, and no boss, and no parent, and no child, and no friend, and no organization, and no church, and no one else can tell us that we don't measure up because of Jesus. What can we expect from Jesus? What kind of high priest is He? 
And friends, as we go through this this morning, it's my, it's my prayer that we see what kind of high priest Jesus is so that we might draw near to Him confidently. As sinners, but as sinners saved by grace. First thing, Jesus is the kind of high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. <clears throat> Rachel and I have a, a good friend that we've known for uh, a long, long time. And when she went to college, she was a believer when she went to college, but she went to a fraternity party early on, I think in her first semester, and had too much to drink and um, ended up pregnant. And she felt shame and guilt over this and went to her, um, her preacher, her pastor, mustered up the strength, and, and this is what her pastor told her. He said, here's what you got to do. you got to get out of town immediately. Make up some kind of lie, do what you got to do, but get out of town immediately. Have this baby, put it up for adoption, and never tell a soul. That woman now, our friend, has been married, I don't know, 25 years, 30 years, has five children of her own. And yet what consumes her much of the time is the guilt and the shame that she carries. Why? Because this pastor, the person that she trusted in her most vulnerable moment, in her most tender moment, her most fragile moment, did not get sympathy, did not get understanding, did not get grace. But she received the message, not only did what you do demand shame, but you demand shame. And that's what she carries, even as a believer in Christ today. The believers in Rome were blowing it. They weren't handling it very well. Uh, The way we know this is because in chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews talks about people that make a profession for Christ and then walk away. And so this whole idea of, you know, can you lose your salvation? I mean, can I be a Christian and then blow it? And it's prevalent. And yet... The beautiful truth that the writer of Hebrews presents in verse 15 is this. You don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with your weaknesses. Isn't that beautiful? But you have one who in every way, in every respect, has been tempted as you are. And yet, he's without sin. Is that not beautiful? Is that not beautiful? Do you hear what we're saying? I see so many people who say, yeah, when I get my life together, I'll go back to church. Or, you know, I'll see somebody on the street and say, man, where have you been? Well, I've had some stuff going on. I mean, typically, the last place we go to is to God when we feel dirty and shameful. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, hey, that's religion. That's not Christianity. Religion says, feel bad about yourself. Go do some penance and come back with a sacrifice. But Christianity says, right, what you did is wrong. But Jesus knew that. And He lived and He died for you and He is your sacrifice. And so now He can sympathize with your weakness because He has been tempted in every single way you have. There is no temptation that you and I face that He did not face. And what that means is, it was a struggle for Jesus. He was not some plastic robot. He struggled with temptation. When the devil was tempting Him in the desert, believe me, He wanted to blast Him. 
He wanted to turn the rocks into bread. He wanted to dive off the top of the temple and say, "Uh uh-huh, watch this. He wanted to defend himself in the trial. He wanted to show himself when, when, when everyone was claiming that he was nothing, he could have easily in an instant proved them wrong. He knows what it's like to have to live humbly and not use your power to impress or to put people down. He was tempted in every way, but beyond that, listen to this. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God said, or Paul says this, He made Him, God made Him, who knew no sin, to what? Be sin for us. So that in Him, we might become the very righteousness of God. Now, if I ask ten people, what did Jesus do for you? He died for my sin. I mean, especially in the South. Maybe not in other places. Around Colorado, not so much. But definitely in the South. He died for my sin. That's not what Paul is saying here. He didn't just die for your sin. God made him who knew no sin to die for your sin, to be your sin. Do you know what that means? What that means is that Jesus became every sin you and I have ever committed. And he stood before the Father... And the Father removed His mercy, His compassion, His understanding, His sympathy, and He focused all of His righteous anger and wrath on Jesus. Jesus knows what it's like to be defined by sin. He knows, He in fact, He is the only one who can, who has ever really experienced being cast out and isolated from the Father's love. You and I feel that because of our guilt and our shame. We'll get to that in a minute. But Jesus is the only one that that truly happened to. He is the one who's been cast off. And that's what hell is. It's being cast off without any hope of being brought back into the love and care of God. So friends... What sin do you need to go to God with this morning? He can sympathize with you. It's guaranteed that the high priest of God will not look at you and go, "Mm, mm, mm, you again. No. He looks at you and he says, hey, fellow struggler, I get it. I've had so many people come to me and talk about sin in their lives, and I can tell they just don't believe that I get it. But guess what? Jesus gets it. Whatever you're facing, whatever you've done, whatever you're thinking about doing, Jesus gets it. He's that kind of high priest, so go to Him. Secondly, Jesus wants sinners to confidently draw near to Him. I've been doing a little research on addiction And one thing that I found about addiction is that there's a straight line between sexual abuse as a child, molestation, and addiction. That the overwhelming majority of those who are um, alcoholics or addicts can look back to some traumatic, and it's typically a sexual happening in their lives. And what that tells me is that we don't know what to do with our shame. But the reality is, is that we all have shame. We all struggle with guilt. 
We all have this inside prosecuting attorney, attorney that is constantly telling us that you don't measure up. Just look at, look at what you did again. I'm telling you right now, I can't go on Facebook without feeling bad about myself. I, I can't do it. That's why I don't get on Facebook much anymore. I simply can't do it. I got on this week, and I saw that my good friends, and they are my good friends, Ricky Jenkins and JB at, at, at Fellowship Memphis. I spent a week with Ricky in Detroit a week and a half ago. I love these guys. These are my friends. But I saw that they produced a video on how to welcome refugees. And I didn't even watch the video before I was judging myself. All I could think was, oh, man, we hadn't produced a video on how to love refugees. Uh, I'm going to call, I'm going to call this person, I'm going to call Kyle Topkin, we're going to have a video. What was I doing? I was immediately going to work. Just put it on the to-do list, and then I'll be justified, and then I'll feel better when I measure up. I can't look on there and see people, you know, with their wives out on a date with balloons and candles and not think, man, I suck as a husband, you know. I mean, that, I can't do it. And what I'm saying is, I don't measure up. But what Jesus says is, draw near to me. Don't run to whatever it is you run to. You see, many of us have run to our accomplishments. We run to that which we are good at. We run to work if we're good at work. We, we run to the streets if we're good at running the streets. We run wherever we go. We go to Facebook to numb ourselves. We go to TV to numb ourselves. We, we, we immerse our thoughts into that dream vacation and we study it and we analyze it and we, we look at, you know, all the travel sites online or we, you know, we think about that pair of shoes or we think about that basketball or we, we think about whatever it is and we dream about it and we think, what are we doing? We're just addicts. Numbing ourselves with the hope that if and when I can experience that or possess that, then I will be worthy. And what does Jesus say? Stop doing all that. Draw near to me because I'm the only one that is truly going to satisfy you. I'm the only one that's going to give you the worth that you need. I have a friend who is doing some incredible work in the area of um, um, children's disease. Um, what is it? RSV. That's it. And it's amazing what he's doing. And if I were him, I would think, man, if I could cure RSV, I mean, that's it, you know. But guess what? That's not it. I preached this sermon in the 9 o'clock hour. We did communion. I came back up here to pronounce the benediction, pronounced it, and as every, everybody left, Rick and I looked at each other, and the, the clock said 10.15. I was like, we finished on time. And I was like ready to rejoice. He said, yeah, we really measured up. <laughs> I said, that's not fair. I mean, we are constantly looking to something whether it's small or significant in our lives, to say, you, you do, you measure up. And what Jesus says is, draw near to me. Verse 16, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need.
Brendan Manning said this. He said, real freedom is freedom from the opinion of others. Above all, freedom from your own opinions about yourself. Do you know the only way that you're going to quiet that prosecuting eternity in your own heart that's constantly telling you that you're nothing is to go to your high priest and say, okay, I will trust your judgment of me. And Jesus' judgment of you is that you are forgiven, you are of incredible worth, He has chosen you before the foundation of the earth as His own beloved, and you can entrust your life to Him because He will carry it on through eternity. Do you know that confidence this morning? Is that how you identify yourself? Well, if not, then you'll love this third point. Jesus also knows how to cry for us. Jesus knows how to cry. I love this. We were with Whitney and Jed on Mother's Day last week for lunch. All the moms were at their house, and little Bennett, who's as accident-prone of any kid I've ever seen in my life, he's literally standing by me. with He's barefooted, and I don't know what he stepped on. I don't know what he did, but I mean blood-curdling scream. And he runs over to a chair, he throws himself down, throws himself back, he's holding his foot, and I see blood coming out of a cut, and he, he screams, I got blood! I got blood! And <laughs> I'm like, alright, it's gonna be okay, Bennett. Yeah, you, it, you have blood, but you're not dying, you're not dying. Jesus, one day, took a child, and put that child in the middle of his disciples, and he said this. It's so interesting. The ESV version says this. Unless you turn and become like this little child, like little children, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Wow. What does a child do? He screams. When a child's born, that is... I mean, if you don't hear the scream, you're, you're, something's wrong. Whitney, our oldest, didn't, came out and, and did not scream. She was not breathing, and so she spent four or five days in uh, the NICU. A child screams. And somewhere down the line, we tell them that it's wrong to scream. We tell them that it's not, you know, big people don't cry. We tell them to suppress crying out. And yet the gospel says the only one that God hears is the child that's screaming. I love John 14:6. Jesus gave this promise that the disciples were trying to keep him on earth. And he said, look, you don't understand. You want the helper to come, capital H. You want the paraclete, that's the Greek word. Because you want him to come, and because he's going to come, he's going to be your helper, and he's going to be with you forever. Now, that Greek word means this. The Spirit is the paraclete. He's the helper. What does he do? He's the one who hears the cry. Dear friends, that should turn your whole life upside down. Your God is not waiting for you to get it together. Your God is waiting for you to cry out to him. Is that not the best news you've ever heard in your life? That Jesus, what He wants from you is the acknowledgement that you're a child and you're weak and you don't have it all together. Children speak it all the time. The very thing that keeps us from God are five simple words. I can do it myself. 
And God says, when you get over that, then you'll see me. Because the only thing that's going to save you is when you understand, I can't do it myself. You feel like God's against you when he's holding back blessings, when, when you don't get the job, when you're wondering what's going on in life. You know what he's doing? He's just, he is driving you to the point where you'll just finally fall on your face in tears and say, here I am. And guess what? The paraclete, the one who hears the cries, the, the God, the, the blessings and the freedom and the love of Christ come raining down in that moment. It's when we are weak that we meet Jesus, not when we're strong. And yet we look to our work, we look to our accomplishments, we continue to believe that there's something we can do to get God's love and all He wants us to do is to fall on our face before Him and say, no, I can't do it. Do you, know, do you realize what I get paid to do? I get paid primarily to do one thing. Tell people they can't do it themselves and they need Jesus. Why in the world is that so hard? Because of pride. Because of arrogance. Because that's the last thing that we're willing to believe. And that's why we need Jesus. Listen to verses 7 through 8 of chapter 5. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. Listen to this. With loud cries and tears. Put that picture of Jesus in your head. Loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Is that not beautiful? We miss the reality of this because all the commentaries and all the theologians and all the biblical scholars get honed in on, he learned obedience? Does that mean Jesus wasn't perfect? Oh, that's so ridiculous. All it's saying is this, is that Jesus, when he came, he had never experienced desperation. And yes, he learned the obedience of crying out in the, in the reality that he did it. He actually did it. He filled it up. He was driven to the point where he was sweating drops of blood. He was dreading meeting the judgment of his Father. He was dreading being uh, abandoned to the cross. And he's sweating drops of blood and he's crying. I mean, an ugly cry, tears. And you know what he was doing? He was doing it for you and me because it takes a lot of life to get us to that point. And Jesus said, okay, I got you, even in your stubbornness, even in your unwillingness to cry before God, even in your unwillingness to fall on your face and say, I can't do it. Guess what? Your high priest did it for you. Is that not beautiful? So all you need to bring to him this morning or any minute of any day, the only requirement of these tables is weakness. It's saying, I am the worst husband. I am the worst wife. I am the worst child. I am the worst. And then Jesus meets us with His forgiveness and His love and His righteousness and His delight. He tells us that He literally dances over us with joy. And yet the hardest thing for us to believe is not the wrath of God, but the love of God. And so, dear friend, would you embrace the love of God this morning? And would it let you, would would you let His love define you? 
Because that's why He did all this. So that we would be a people that know that we are loved, that the world might stand back and say, what is wrong with those people? They're dancing like little Bennett on the the soccer field. He didn't even make a goal. And yet the people that matter in his life are clapping. Dear friends, Jesus at this time, that's what he wants you to hear. I'm clapping for you. I did it for you. Just receive it. And go live in the joy and the freedom of the gospel and tell somebody else about it. Dear friend, are you crying out to God? He mentions that Jesus was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, it goes back to the Old Testament, and Melchizedek was the only uh, priest king. He was a king and a priest. And that's the kind of priest you need. It's not one who just makes sacrifices, but one who can conquer sin. And that's what Jesus did for us. So, dear friends, may we come to the table this morning, may we come broken and hungry, because the qualification of being a Christian is that you are poor in spirit, that you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that you are mourning over your sin and the sins of the injustices of the world, and you come with all of that broken and hungry for forgiveness and for healing for you and those around you. So may we do that this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for the hope that we have in you. Bring us to these tables with absolute abandonment of self-trust and absolute faith in you. Bless these tables, God. We beg you, and we do so in Jesus' name. May we also respond to the grace and mercy of Christ by bringing our tithes and offerings to him this morning, responding to the incredible gospel of grace by giving back to him. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it. 
And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this cup, or <laughs> eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But dear friends, may we come this morning with one hope, and that is the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And that absorbs all of your shame, all of your guilt, and you can come relishing the reality of forgiveness and reconciliation. So do that this morning. If that is not your hope, we pray that it would be your hope. Come to Christ this morning. Believe that for the first time. Say, this is the only story that makes sense to me. This is the only reality that makes sense to me and come to Jesus. If you're unwilling to do that, then please don't partake of these elements. Because the scriptures say you won't be eating and drinking blessing, but judgment upon yourself. Also, if you're a child here without a leader or a parent, um, and and they're not giving you access to the table, then please don't partake um, until you have uh, met with me or Chris or Lucy um, and actually joined the church. Uh, So may we come, and may we come and be blessed by these elements. I'll call uh, the elders that are here to uh, man the table to my left. You can go over there, Jed. You may come. Body of Christ, broken for you. Turn this off.
Amen. God's grace is good, and it's good all the time. So may we leave this place today knowing that grace. If, if you would like to speak about your relationship with Jesus, or if you just have some pressing need or burden in your life, uh, that you want to kind of uh, cast over and, and let brothers and sisters walk with you through this and pray with and for you. Um, our elders and community group leaders are going to be uh, in this corner behind the curtain. That sounds a little creepy, but uh, behind the curtain here. Um, and so we invite you to come, elders and uh, community group leaders, if you'll make your way there right now and, um, and meet those who desire prayer. Uh, let's look up and receive God's blessing on His people. Be blessed by the one who will do exceeding abundantly beyond what we ask or can even imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a blessed day.